Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is to create moments that change lives. We pray that these weekly messages will be a moment in your day that leads to a change in your life. For more information, visit us online at LifeGateBurleson.com. As we are preparing for this Easter season, we're launching into this uh, sermon series called Good Neighbor. And really what we're going to dive into in this series is preparing a place for others, sharing our faith and our lives with other people, doing those things for people who may be different than we are. And so to help us do that, we're going to take a look at one of the parables that Jesus taught. A parable is a story that Jesus used to kind of illustrate the thing that he was trying to teach during his ministry. And so this parable is found in Luke 10. If you want to open up in your Bibles, open your phones. Hey, it's in the LifeGate app. Quick plug. It's an amazing app. Download it. You'll not be sorry. But we're going to start in verse 25 uh, of Luke 10. And it says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The Amplified Version says he was deeply moved with compassion for him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray as we dive in this morning. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. God, your word that changes lives, God, and touches hearts. God, we ask this morning that as we just dive into this text, God, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, God, to hear what you would have for us today, God. We ask that you would move in a powerful way. Come and have your way, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love this passage. I absolutely love it. I mean, first, let's put ourselves in the shoes of that expert who is uh, talking to Jesus. First, you ask Jesus a question. Then Jesus asks you one back, and then you get it right. I don't know about you guys, but if Jesus asked me a question that I got it right, y'all. I'd be straight straight. I'd be like, yeah, yo, check me out. Jesus just said I got it right. But see, from that moment, though, that doesn't last very long. That, that proud moment doesn't last very long because he begins to get nervous, a little less sure of himself, and he begins to question if he really is executing what Jesus is teaching. So he asks another question. 
And then Jesus does the most Jesus thing that Jesus does, and he answers uh, the question with a story. And I tell you, I wish I had that anointing, especially with my kids. Be like, hey, daddy, can I do this? No, let me tell you a story, my child. (laughs) But how many parents know that that would be accompanied with why, and I just don't have that anointing yet? Pray for me. It's going to happen one day, I believe. I believe. But what Jesus begins to tell in this story is that the actions of the, uh, he begins to describe the actions of the priest who walks by. A priest in those days are the equivalent of what a pastor is today. He would sure, he should surely stop and help this man. There, he's a fellow countryman, and those days they probably lived in the same village. They're supposed to be a man of faith. You would think that that guy would stop and help the guy who is beaten on the road. But in fact, he did notice the man and chose to walk around on the other side. And then he describes a Levite who's a worship leader who also does the same thing, notices and then goes to the other side. That's not a good look for the worship leader who wears black and denim all the time. It's not a good look for us. If you don't notice, all of our worship leaders wear black and denim. You don't believe me? Just watch next time they come out. It's black and denim all the time. Um, So I began to pause and wonder, how big are these roads? I mean, for someone to be alone, beaten, robbed, and have absolutely nothing, I'm imagining in quite a bit of pain, these guys are just walking on the other side. So I began to do some research and kind of see what these roads were like. So Jericho to Jerusalem, that road was 18 miles long. So it wasn't very long. The average person could walk that in a day comfortably. It wasn't that big of a deal. But also these roads were 13 and a half feet wide. And so I just want to kind of put some perspective on that, like how wide 13 and a half feet is. So I'm going to have my buddy Zach come up and help me out. Give it up for Zach as he comes up. So we're going to measure out 13 and a half feet, just so you can see. It's coming. It's coming. There we go. In Jesus' name. There it is. So there's 13 feet. So they're coming up to these people. Zach, would you be my, my guy who's robbed and beaten and all these things? Man, look how, look how pathetic he looks. Isn't he doing such a good job? And so, Zach, Oscar nominations have already been cast, bro. You're good. Um, he's committed to the part. I love it. So for the guys to walk up, it's not, like, it's not like I-35, right, where you can drive on the right side of the road and have no idea what's happening on this side of the road. You have to walk up and be like, hmm, no, I'm good, and then keep walking. And it's not like, it's not like just your average guy. It's a pastor, and it's a worship leader that look, and they're like, no, I'm okay, and I'm going to go this way, right? It's a big thing. Hey. Stop, stop, you're good. <laughs> Give it up for Zach as he's going up. But see, in fact, the person who stops to help him is a Samaritan man. And I know nowadays that's like culturally kind of something we say, right? Like the good Samaritan. But that was not always the case, right? The Jewish people and the Samaritan people were constantly at odds. They were enemies, in fact. The Jewish people and the Samaritan people had a long history of conflict that went back generations. 
They separated out of Babylon. They, uh, the people in Samaria began to build idols and worship, and they didn't want to go to Jerusalem to offer up their sacrifice, so that was a big deal. Then they tried to overtake Jerusalem, which, you know, nobody's really fond of when you try to get overthrown. And then they actually helped the Roman Empire conquer Jerusalem. So they were not really happy with one another all the time. In fact, they were like Cowboys fans and Eagles fans, that they were like this constantly. And so, but indeed it was that man who came to help the one that was laying on the road. If there was anyone who had cause to maybe walk the other side and be like, nah, bro, I'm good, it was that man. But the enemy of the man who was lying in the road was the man who stopped. He gave him first aid, he, he put him on his donkey, I'm sure it was like the whip back in the day. It was, it was the right thing to have. He took him to an inn and he cared for him himself. And if that wasn't enough, he woke up the next day, he paid the innkeeper to continue his care and then said, if that doesn't cover it, I'll be back and pay the rest. The guy that you wouldn't expect does the thing that Jesus is trying to get us to understand. He is trying to communicate that a neighbor is not merely someone who lives close to you or is someone that you like. In fact, being a neighbor has little to do with others, but mostly has to do with you. It has to do with your ability to show someone what we are talking about today, which is compassion. See, compassion in this story uh, that Jesus is telling seems like the easy thing to do, right? You see someone beaten and lying on the road, help them. It's not, it's not a difficult decision to do. But see, someone lying on the road, that's not always what we encounter in our day-to-day life. But what is incredible about this story is it says that he was moved with compassion. And being moved with compassion is one of the things I love most about Jesus. The moments that Jesus displayed compassion, he not only showed it to us, but he moved. He was moved by it. He wasn't complacent, he wasn't passive, he, was not, he not only felt sympathy and concern for others, but he was moved to action to do something about it. Can I challenge you this morning? I feel like oftentimes we are in a place where we are ready to find out the suffering and misfortunes that are going on with somebody, but we stop at discovery instead of progressing into movement. Maybe you are the solution for the suffering and the misfortunes of someone, but God is waiting on you to go beyond discovery and move to a point of action. Let me go even one step further. I think some of us are even aware of our own concerns, our own suffering, our own misfortunes, but we are not wanting to move until we receive the sympathy and concern that we think we deserve. We've allowed our emotions to comfort us instead of going to the one who is the comforter. We rely, depend, and even expect others to help instead of going to the one that is called our helper. See, maybe God is waiting on you to shift your focus past the sympathy and past the concern and focus on the one who is ready to move on your behalf. Psalm 121.1 says, I lift my eyes to the hills for there is where my help comes from. When we lift our eyes, we lift our focus and we turn our attention towards him, we will begin to be moved by the things of God and moved for the ones that God loves. So how do we move? with compassion. 
So when I was preparing this message, I went into full-on preacher mode, and I came up with an acrostic for you guys so you could remember it easily. I showed Pastor Chad. He was, he was like, that's my boy. So I'm telling you, it's good. You're going to love it this morning. So uh, to move, we must first show mercy. We must first show mercy. Mercy means to give forgiveness when it, was, when it is within the power to punish. Every parent in this room just had an incident pop in their head when they're like, I showed mercy when, Lord, I should have punished my child. <laughs> I've done it too. I hear it. I mean, I think back to my own childhood, the rules I broke, the furniture, the vehicles, the appliances, the fact that my parents are not bankrupt today is a miracle in and of itself. I can think back to a specific time. My mom, all right, when my mom was, when I was younger, my mom collected these things called precious moments. Did anybody know what those are? My mom had like cabinets full of these things, which I just don't get. I mean, it's got to be a generational thing, but they, they were stacked everywhere in our house, and she was so proud of these things. I'm telling you, they were her pride and joy. And then one day, you know, I, I was acting very juvenile, and I sat in timeout. She put me in like timeout when I was like eight years old, and in the corner was this like square hutch full of uh, these precious moments. And I was so mad, I was so mad, which is really unlike me, right? I mean, I'm not a passionate person. I should, I should be calm all the time. But I began to get frustrated and like kick this China thing over and over and over. And they just came doubly down upon me. They broke all over the floor. And when I tell you, I know what the fear of God is because of that moment. I know what the fear of God is because of that moment. And she, she may have, you know, disciplined me, but she showed mercy because my life should have ended because that was, that was bad. But I am standing before you today preaching because I have experienced the mercy of the Lord and of my mother. Um, so, but mercy has to be the beginning of compassion because mercy takes us out of a mindset of self-focus and reminds us that we ourselves are given forgiveness when we should have been punished. It even says in verse 36 and 37 of this text, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law, the one who had given mercy. And he said, go and do likewise. For us to even start on this journey of being a good neighbor who shows compassion, we must first be willing to shift our mindset and show mercy. The next thing we need to do is to be obedient. We need to be obedient. My favorite example of obedience in the Bible is found in Matthew 14, uh, verses 13 through 21. It's about Jesus feeding the 5,000. I encourage you to go read that. It's in your app if you downloaded it. And, um, but really go read that text. It's phenomenal. I love it. But I'm going to give you the SJV, which is the summarized Joshua version this morning. So that way we can progress in our uh, time this morning. So essentially what happens is Jesus is teaching like a lot of people. 5,000 people are sitting on this hill um, and they are listening to Jesus speak. And so it's getting late in the day. And so Jesus uh, realizes that. He's kind of wrapping up his teaching time. And his disciples, who are being Captain Obvious are like, hey, Jesus, we should probably feed these people. They're hungry. And Jesus is like, well, go ahead and feed them. And they're like, oh, we, we, we don't have any food. 
And they're like, well, that seems like a problem. And so then a young boy comes with five loaves of bread and two fish and gives them to Jesus. Jesus then breaks them, he blesses them, and the disciples hand them out. What's incredible about the next part of this story is that as they hand them out, it is distributed to all of the people who are there. They not only all have something to eat, but they are all filled. They are full. And so, and then after they are full, they say, go get the leftovers, and they fill 12 baskets full of food. Come on, right? See, man, you, that's what I'm saying. That's so incredible that Jesus did a miracle in that place. And so the thing is, is that the reason this just speaks to me so much when it comes to obedience is that this boy didn't have enough to feed 5,000 people. The boy barely had enough to feed a few people. But see, God wasn't looking for someone to have enough to feed everyone because in Psalm 50, it says that God owns cattle on a thousand hills. His resources are limitless and endless. But what God was looking for was obedience. So this morning, if we can just stop thinking of all the things that we don't have to offer, the time that we don't have, the resources we don't have, if I could only do this, if I could only do that, and realize that God is not asking you to feed the masses, he's asking you to be obedient to the master. Let me say that one more time. He's not asking you to feed the masses, he is asking you to be obedient to the master. So now we've Show mercy, we give our obedience. The next thing we want, need to do is to realize value. Realize value. I feel like oftentimes, especially in today's world, we, we have devalued human life. We see wars happening, natural disasters, abortions, mass shootings. We are bombarded with these things over and over in news and social media, and we've almost had to numb ourselves to what's going on around us. Because if we allow ourselves to feel every single one of these, we'd probably descend into a puddle on the floor. But you see, God, the God of the universe, has breathed breath into our lungs. He has formed us in our mother's womb. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. He has assigned us value. And so to help illustrate that this morning, I need a youth who wants money. Wow, no youth wants money. Man, I needed money so much when I was, come up, just come on up, don't even, there you go, Matthew Carter, let's go. Man, when I was, I needed money so bad. <laughs> so I have, I have $10, that's not a lot of money, but it's money. Do you want this money? Yes, I do. Yes, you do. Yeah. Why? Because I need money. Because you need money, exactly right. What if I folded it up like this? Would you still want this money? Why? Because it's money. Because it's still money. What if I unfolded it and I did this, I crumpled it up, and I pressed on it really, really hard? Do you still want that money? Of course you do. Do you want, what if I throw it down, I stomp on it, and I kick it off the stage? <laughs> you still want it? Of course you do. Why? Because it's still money. Oh, chat's over. <laughs> I was not expecting that. That's great. <laughs> of course he does. Because it still has value. Because it doesn't matter what a man does to it. The one who created it assigned value to it. 
Go ahead and take that, bro. Thank you. Yeah. Give it up for that. See, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody crumbles you up, folds you, discards you. You feel like you're being stepped on, tossed to the side, kicked off a stage. But the one who created you assigned you value, and there is nothing that a man can do that can devalue the value that God placed on your life. And so for us this morning, that's something that we have to shift our focus and shift our vision that even though people might frustrate us, even though they may, oh my goodness, get on our nerves, that they have been given value by God. And we have to see them in that light. The person who cuts us off in traffic, the annoying coworker, the fill in the blank, right? They have value that was given to them by their creator. And we need to recognize that. Which brings me to my last point today, which is empathy. Empathy. See what I did there? M-O-V-E. I made it just for you guys. But see, empathy is the ability to understand and share in the feelings of others. And so I feel like this is beautifully displayed in John 11. In John 11, Jesus, uh, just to set it up a little bit, Jesus was incredibly close with this family with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. And what had happened was uh, Lazarus became sick. And while Jesus was ministering in another town, he was given news that he was, uh, Lazarus was getting sick. And so instead of just rushing right back to the town, Jesus told his disciples, we need to wait so that the glory of God can be revealed, which is a big thing. But then he begins to go back to the town where Mary and Martha were. And as he gets to where they were, he is moved to compassion. He is moved so much so that in fact, when we read this section of scripture, we can read the shortest and maybe most powerful verse in the gospels, which is Jesus wept. Because even though he knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew the outcome. He was not above meeting others where they were at. He wasn't above having that relationship with Mary and Martha before he just rushed to the miracle. And see, for me, this, this hits different. I'm a problem solver, as I'm sure many of you are. If there's a problem, then there's a solution, and I wanna to get to that solution as quickly as possible. But something my wife has helped me grow in is that sometimes the solution is a journey. She'll often say, I don't need you to fix it, I just need you to listen. Ooh, every husband was like, mm, yeah. <laughs> that's real, but that's hard, because we wanna fix, we wanna to get to that solution. But not every problem is fixed by getting to the solution as fast as you can. But it does require movement. It requires us to move, to show mercy, to give our obedience, to realize value, and to show empathy. And Jesus not only did that for Mary and Martha, but he did that for each and every one of us. 
He saw us in our sin. He saw us in our brokenness, our grief, our shame, and took on the form of man and met us where we were. He saw the separation that sin creates and he was moved with compassion for each of us, even unto the cross where his body and his blood cancel our death. So with every head bowed and every eyes closed this morning, I just wanna offer an invitation. If you want to know the man who will meet you with compassion, who will meet you and see your value, who will show you empathy, who will show mercy, he's ready to have a relationship with you.